everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Breakers, a podcast about shipwrecks, loss, and lessons learned from maritime disasters. This is our first episode of Season 2. That's amazing. So thank you for your support through our first season. Taylor and I are so happy to have made something that has found an audience and been worth listening to. Uh, As we've said in numerous episodes before, we love interacting and reading comments, feedback that we've received. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at beyond underscore breakers, on Instagram at beyond the breakers podcast. Our email is beyond the breakers pod at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page. We don't really do that much on Facebook, but it does exist. You can give us a like over there. And then we also do have a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash beyond the breakers. We want to keep the show ad free. We don't want to run ads. That's not our thing. Uh, So we have a Patreon set up if you want to throw us a few bucks over there. Money from the Patreon just goes back into making the show. Things like web hosting fees, research material when we need that stuff, the occasional upgrade to recording equipment. A little bit more on that. The Patreon donations really do help the show overall, not just for the Patreon content itself. It allows us to share more stuff in the main stream. You know, we pay a certain amount each month and we get a certain allotment of hours. Basically, the more... The more resources we have to spend on that, the more content we can put out for everyone. So all that stuff really does help in a very solid material way for the podcast as a whole. More about Patreon. There's uh, two new patrons we really want to thank for this first episode of 2022. One of them is Carlos. Been a big supporter of ours on uh, on social media, commenting, sharing, that kind of thing. So thank you, Carlos, for that support. Uh, and Carlos is currently leading our bowl pick competition. So... Very uh, savvy picker of college football games as well. In addition to that, we've got Taylor. Uh, So thank you for your support, Taylor. Taylor also has a podcast, part of the Hoot and Holler podcast, a podcast about the Ozarks. Very cool. Checked it out and definitely been enjoying it. Give it a listen. You'll, uh, I think you'll, you'll know if it's your kind of thing within the first three or four minutes, but a cool podcast that I've been enjoying. I'm just going to go ahead and bring in Taylor here. We have so much, so much housekeeping stuff to discuss here mm-hmm. that I, I don't want, I don't want to keep you in the closet uh, too much longer here. So Taylor, how's it going? Good. Um, had a good New Year's. It was a fun time. Just kind of enjoying it. It's another gloomy day in Ohio, like so many are, but it's actually kind of warm. So that's, mm-hmm. we got that going for us. We have some sun here, but it's pretty, it's relatively chilly here in the upper Midwest. If anyone watched the uh, the Winter Classic last night, yeah. um, that was a chilly game up in Minnesota. We had the windows open on New Year's. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. Anyway, so that's good. Glad the New Year was good for you. It's good for me as well. I did get a little bit sick the last two days. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what you said. Possibly COVID. I don't know. It seems weird that it would be something else right now with all the same symptoms. I did technically test negative for it on the home test. I don't know if I trust that quite so much. Right. Maybe I didn't get the swab far enough up there, but uh, but yeah, so we'll see. I'm feeling a little bit better. You'll probably have to edit out a lot more stuff, me coughing and clearing my throat and stuff like that that people don't want to hear. Wait. <laughs> With all that said, I guess the only other stuff we need to talk about here uh, in the, the first bit is uh, ratings and reviews. Uh, so for those of you who have been listening to the show, give us a five-star rating if your podcast app allows you to do so a review is also cool if you can do that i know apple Podcasts you can rate and review spotify i know just rolled out ratings i don't know if you can do actual like written reviews or not yeah i'm not sure either but we definitely appreciate anyone that takes the time to give us a rating or review yeah it helps us stay visible you know helps helps other people find the podcast so 
we can all enjoy these terrible stories together. And it makes us feel good. It does. That's And that's really the most important service you're providing is making us feel good. <laughs> Starting season two, this is kind of a big day. We've been making yeah. the show for almost a full calendar year. We started in February and uh, it's now 2022. We hit the 10,000 download mark in December. That was really cool. Under a full year, we had our by far our best month. I think I think we were like four or 500 downloads above our previous best month. So that's awesome because obviously that doesn't happen if no one's listening to the show. So thank you all for, for downloading, for listening, for talking about it, mm-hmm. for telling people about it. Uh, it's been really fun to watch the show grow you know, since since we started. For sure. Uh, season two, I know you and I, we've been talking about what do we want to do or alter or change or improve. Just kind of different things, you know, getting out of the comfort zone, trying to apply some of the things we've picked up in our in our first year of the show. You know, we want to do some longer, some more in-depth episodes when it's appropriate, when it's relevant. Uh, we, we don't want to stretch things for the sake of making more content if we don't feel that they warrant it. But there's plenty of things we talk about on the show that we just don't feel can be squeezed into 45 minutes or one hour. So yeah, for those, we, we do want to take the time and, and sort of slow down a little bit and cover things the way that we feel they need to be covered. Other things like guest appearances, now that we've figured out some more of the technical stuff, we want to bring on some some more voices to the show. So that's something we'll be looking at. We'll see who we can get in the shipping, transportation, I don't know, literature, podcasting world, whatever. Maybe we'll we'll start with an invitation to Pete Buttigieg and we'll work our way. We'll just move down the ladder from there and see who we can get. We also kind of want to expand the scope a little bit. You know, we want to continue to cover new things, different things that maybe we didn't picture covering at the beginning of the podcast. Um, you know, different places, different types of, of events that have happened. But we always do want to sort of come back uh, home, as it were, you know, to the Great Lakes, those kind of classic shipwreck tales uh, that we know our listeners enjoy. And we enjoy, too. You know, we don't want to talk, I guess, too dramatically. We, we don't want to forget where we came from. Right. Because we do love those stories. Those are those are great stories to tell. But we want to cover other stuff, too, because that's what we we like to learn about. That's what we like to research also. I think we are more or less ready to jump into season two. Let's do it. All right. Let's get this done. So today we're going to be covering a maritime disaster that might be pretty well known to those with a knowledge of Great Lakes history. Those who are from the area, but it might not be as familiar to others. It wasn't very familiar to me. I, I don't think I'd ever heard of this before I started reading about shipwrecks. It's one that I knew of, but honestly didn't know a lot of details of. Mm-hmm. My knowledge of this wreck developed in a very strange way that we'll get more into the details of as we go. Yeah, I, I just recently became aware of this as I've been reading more for the show about Great Lakes shipwrecks and things like that. So this is the story of the SS Noronic. The reason I chose this one to start out season two is that it centers around so many of the concepts that we always talk about on the show. Right. And some of those are things like safety regulations, specifically involving fire, (laughs) uh, accident preparedness, and then also how the crew of a ship responds in an emergency setting. Right. So all of those things, we talk about those in sort of different combinations on almost every episode. And this one has some things to discuss with all of those. Before we get into the incident itself, uh, I want to learn a little bit about the passenger ship SS Noronic and her role on the Great Lakes. 
So as a word of warning to our listeners, this will be a long one. So I hope you have a comfortable place to sit and listen to us talk. This is so long that this will actually be our first two-part episode. Two parts. Two parts. How about that? Stuff, Never thought we'd get to that point. Stuff just kept coming and coming, and like I, there was no possible way to filter this down into, into one episode. Right. Uh, so if you listen to this when it comes out, happy Monday. And then we're going to be releasing part two, I think, on Wednesday. Wednesday, does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. Sure. Wednesday. So let's jump into it. Neuronic was launched at Port Arthur, Ontario in June of 1913 as the new flagship in the fleet of the Northern Navigation Company. So uh, I'm going to quote here from the Montreal Gazette on May 31st of 1913. or The end of this is going to be a quote. She was built to carry passengers and package freight around the Great Lakes and designed to be, quote, the largest and finest vessel on the Great Lakes. Nothing bad has ever happened to the largest and finest vessel anywhere. Right. Exactly. They usually turn out pretty well, I'd say. They just 30 years of service, boring career, you didn't even know their name. Mm-hmm. Her sister ships at the time of her construction were City of Midland, Doric, Germanic, Hamonic, Huronic, Ionic, Majestic, Saronic, and Wabic. The City of Midland really got left out there. Really did, and and kind of surprised they didn't maybe change that around to make it fit the uh, fit the others a little little bit more. The the Midlandic, the Midlandic, yeah, sure, that would sound fine. Huronic, Hamonic, and Noronic were referred to as the three sisters because of their similar build and accommodations, though they did differ a little bit in size. So those were the nice boats. Basically, these are the these are the ones. We'll we'll look at some advertisements later on here and you'll see that these these are the three that get advertised because these are the ones that that stay in service for a long time and they have the nicest accommodations the money boats those are the money boats i need that boat (laughs) Um, so those familiar with the great lake storm of 1913 that we've covered on a previous episode and we discuss pretty frequently on social media might remember the huronic as one of the ships that was incapacitated during that event Uh, so huronic ran aground on on whitefish point but with no casualties. So this is one of the comparatively lucky boats that only suffered material loss. So if that name sounds familiar, maybe that's why. Neuronic herself could have been out in the same storm, but the decision was made to keep her in port. Nice. Which turned out to be a good decision. Yeah. I saw on one article I was reading that 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 would have been her maiden voyage if she had gone out in that storm. I only saw that like in one source, and I don't know if that's true if she was launched in June. It feels like too good of a story. Why, why her maiden voyage would have been in November. There's this weird obsession amongst people who write about shipwrecks with maiden voyages. There's, I suppose everybody wants the Titanic effect. Exactly, right? and I think that's it. There's websites that say the Mary Rose sank on her maiden voyage. It's such a trope at this point, I feel like, in maritime tales. Yeah, Mary Rose served for like 30 years. But anyway, that's a a side bone we can pick later. Uh, so a little bit more about the Northern Navigation Company. Like a lot of industries, frequent changes in the business landscape. You've got smaller companies being acquired by larger ones, merging with other lower level operators, and sometimes both of those things happening simultaneously. This can lead to some pretty confusing family trees for some of these companies. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a lot of changes when it's really basically the same thing. I just want to do a quick run through here. This is some of the content that I could not pass up for the show. <laughs> so the origins of the Northern Navigation Company, they take us back to 1876 with the formation of the Georgian Bay Company. 
1876, good year to start a steamship company. Bad year to be out on the Great Plains trying to fight the Lakota and the Cheyenne. (laughs) Uh, So the Georgian Bay Company, as the name might imply, operated ships in Georgian Bay and up the lake to Sault Ste. Marie. Northern Navigation would be reorganized into the Great Northern Transit Company in 1880. In 1890, the North Shore Navigation Company came on scene, operating in basically the same territory and providing some pretty stiff competition for the same routes. Uh, So these two companies, they would become known as the Black Line for the North Shore Navigation Company and the White Line for Great Northern due to the colors of their respective hulls. So we've got this great cosmic balance now. We have the yin and the yang Mm -hmm. of the Georgian Bay passenger trade. (laughs) and. Because the universe loves chaos and entropy, we're going to add a third operator into the mix. This is the Northwest Transportation Company, run by James and Henry Beatty. So this company is actually older than the other two. They started out in 1870 as the Lake Superior Line, running from Sarnia all the way up to Thunder Bay. So basically running the full length of Lake Huron and Lake Superior. Okay, so they did a little bit more. A little bit more, kind kind of stretching out over a wider area. Uh, So in 1899, the Beatties merged their Northwest Transportation Company with Great Northern Transit, that's the white line from earlier, to form the Northern Navigation Company. Finally, we're here. Later in the year, another merger took place incorporating the North Shore Navigation Company, which is that uh, black line we talked about from earlier. Unsurprisingly, this would result in the largest Canadian passenger and package freight firm on the Upper Lakes. Got all these companies so combining, and um, we've merged ourselves into a monopoly. <laughs> uh, basically, for the for this uh, for this service on this part of the lakes. So in 1904, H.C. Hammond took over the company. In 1911, James Playfair, which is a, a that's a fun name for like a robber baron. It is. It's like a I don't know if it's like a Dickensian type name. Ironically, so James Playfair, uh, who is described as a quote. Vessel operator and wheeler dealer on the grand scale attempted to buy the company for $1,250,000, but was rejected by the shareholders. Uh, So fun next bit here. Uh, In March of that same year, he would be elected president of the Northern Navigation Company. (laughs) I love that. Like, I can't buy the company, so I'm just going to be president of the company. Yeah, so I guess maybe, maybe someone got some money out of that. To get yeah, him, a, right. it's very, I don't know, I've been watching Succession lately, so I'm, I'm thinking on those lines. But yeah, so he becomes the the president of the company, he's elected by the board, and as soon as he takes over, he starts looking at merging Northern Navigation with Inland Lines, which is a company he had already owned. Oh no, let me like merge these companies from the one that I'm the president of to the one that I own. Seems like maybe he had that in mind the whole time, I don't know, not a business guy. So on top of this, he wanted to consolidate his companies with the Richelieu and Ontario Navigation Company, which covered territory on the St. Lawrence and in Lake Ontario. So he's playing his little game of risk. He's expanding all his territory out so he can cover the lakes from Superior to Ontario. So he really has visions of being like a, a like all over the Great Lakes like sized company. Like he wants to be the biggest company yes. on the lakes or at least one of the big boys. Yes, exactly. So after all of this, you know, grand scale wheeling and dealing, the result was Canada Steamship Lines, a company that still operates today. So at this point, you know, they've he's he's taken in all these other companies. He's he's made this big conglomeration of passenger and freight 
So at this point, you know, he has a dominant company on the Great Lakes. Playfair is acting as the vice president and managing director. Ships that had operated under Northern Navigation, they retained that branding and stayed as a separate mm-hmm. division of CSL. This is like when Kroger buys up every small local grocery store but keeps the brand name. Right. Because people are they can save or whatever. People <laughs> are scared of change. They keep the brand name, but then they just sell the Ohio products like five dollar cans of Skyline Chili. <laughs> it's still like four fifty here. That's ridiculous. It's expensive. You could buy an actual three way for that. Like Yeah, you pretty much could. Yeah. Back to the star of our show, the SS Noronic. If you remember before we kind of went into the weeds there with that company history, Noronic was launched in June of 1913. That's about two years after this big sort of mega merger took place. The idea was to make her sort of the crown jewel of this new... That makes sense. So you want like the you want like a nice fancy ship for your nice fancy new company. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about some of her specifications. Her construction was completed by the Western Dry Dock and Shipbuilding Company. She was 385 feet in length, beam measurement of 52 feet 9 inches, and a depth of 28 feet 9 inches. Uh, She had accommodation for 600 passengers on four passenger decks. Quoting from the Windsor Star in uh, May of 1913, approximately equal to any two Canadian passenger steamers now plying the Great Lakes. Hmm. So she's a big girl. Yeah, I mean, especially for the time, it sounds like this, like, it's known, like, this is just a bigger, more grand ship than what you would expect on the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um... Which I'm sure still has more of a, I mean, it's not Frontier's time, but this also isn't, like, a luxury route between France or Italy and mm-hmm. New York. It's just different. Yeah. Uh, the Regina Leader Post quoted a passenger capacity of 675, but 600 was the number that I saw most places. We're still in that time period, too, where it's like, we don't actually know how many people are on board. Yeah, we'll just keep packing people on until we can't. This feels right. Um, She had uh, capacity for a crew of 200, and additionally, she could carry 3,500 tons of cargo. Quoting uh, still from the Windsor Star, Every improvement known in modern shipbuilding is embodied in the design and the best materials obtainable used in her construction. She's to run between Sarnia, Sault Ste. Marie, Port Arthur, Fort William, and Duluth. She was built on the Isherwood system of longitudinal framing. So I'm going to take here from the Saskatoon Daily Star on June 12th of 13. Quote, The frames, instead of running transversely as in ordinary ships, run fore and aft or longitudinally and are supported by large plate web frames fitted transversely spaced 10 feet apart. This construction is very much stronger than the old system, at the same time being lighter, thus gaining in carrying capacity and speed. Interesting. A double bottom is fitted four feet, nine inches deep. So she's got those double bottom jeans. Uh, <laughs> extending the full length of the vessel, and the hull is divided by eight watertight transverse bulkheads into nine compartments. Two collision bulkheads are fitted forward, making her practically... Oh, no. What's that word? Don't say it. What's that word we like? Don't, don't say unsinkable. Unsinkable. Which... Uh-oh. Which, I guess, if we, if we sort of take a peek ahead... Sinking will not be the problem. So that is true. So I guess technically a truthful statement. Fair play to the Saskatoon Daily Star. <laughs> so yes, practically unsinkable. This ship is uh, the entrance hall or lobby is on the main deck. The side walls are paneled with quartered oak. Also important later, interlocking huh. rubber tiling floors. 
The main stairway leads to the social hall on Spar Deck, and the office is located on the port side. This office is to be fitted similar to the office of a large hotel, where clerks will be on duty at all times. There are 150 staterooms on this deck, and it is well-equipped with toilet rooms, bathrooms, barbershop, etc. The main corridors of the spar deck are finished in white enamel, with the social hall paneled in quartered oak. A lot of quartered oak on this A lot of oak, a lot of wood, a lot of wood that needs polish and paint. That won't be a problem. Not a big deal. So as you can see here, what they're describing here is a fancy hotel. This is not a way to travel, per se. This is a way to spend your time elegantly. Right. The ship is really designed to be an experience in itself, not just a way to get from point A to point B. So it's sort of borderlining on like the beginnings of like a pleasure cruise or something. Oh, for sure. Like that's exactly what this is. And that's how it's advertised. And you could even see that in the routes. I mean, they're they're all, you know, uh, Sarnia to Duluth and return. So it's, it's just a way to go spend some time on the lakes for some of these routes. Quoting again here, to sail on her, gorge on steak in her elegant dining room, and sip a cool drink while sunk into a wicker chair was an exercise in pure decadence. Getting there was never the point of a voyage aboard the Noronic. It's just really interesting to me how badly they want to paint this as like this is on par with like a transatlantic experience. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because it just wouldn't have been. But like to the people who were doing it, it probably felt like it was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it you, probably felt that it had all of that austerity, or not austerity, all of that pomp and circumstance of like the Titanic or the Lusitania or some of these older, you know, glamorous vessels. Yeah, kind of in a way that would be maybe more accessible, more affordable to to everyone. To someone who was a you know a upper middle class person from Detroit or something at the time, mm-hmm. like you'd only read about these things in the papers and. This is like the one little taste of that experience you could actually obtain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Continuing on here, quoting from the Regina Leader Post again. The Noronic is the finest steamship that has ever plowed the broad waters of Lake Superior or Lake Huron. She's indeed the finest vessel afloat on inland seas today. The greyhounds of the Atlantic surpass her in size, but in the elegance and comfort of her passenger quarters, in the stoutness of her build, she is their peer. That's interesting. He's like directly addressing what I was just talking about. Mm -hmm. The propellers are churning the water in her wake, but in spite of the mighty power of her engines, she moves without apparent vibration. So, big girl, smooth ride. (laughs) Comfortable ship to to be on. She's beautiful. She's elegant. Sure, those other ones are bigger, but that's really the only advantage they have. If you're looking for comfort, enjoyment, check these out. The Saskatoon Daily Star reported that Noronic was launched, quote, in the presence of over 10,000 citizens of Port Arthur and Fort William, and many hundreds of visitors from all parts of Canada. Interesting. Uh, The christening ceremony was performed by the wife of Edmund Bristol, the director of Northern Navigation Company. I wasn't able to find her actual name, because in all these old newspapers, they just refer to women as Mrs. their husband's name. This is what year? Uh, This is 1913. Yeah, that makes sense. And that'll be the case through basically all of the newspapers. Basically, unless unless the <laughs> unless the woman is single, they just give her husband's uh, name. Interesting. And, and Mrs., which is very annoying. So starting out, Noronic, uh, along with her sister ships, operated in conjunction with the Grand Trunk Pacific Railroad's passenger service operating between Winnipeg in Manitoba and Fort William on the northwest shore of Lake Superior. I'm including these geographical locations, uh, descriptions from Canada, mainly for me. Because I I don't know where things are in Canada. Right. I just yeah, I, I just recently got 
the provinces in an order where I can remember them. So, <laughs> so cities are, are completely out of my, out of my comfort zone. If we think back to the episode we did on Empress of Ireland, this is kind of the same type of intermodal v- vacation uh, where you right. take a train from one place, get on a boat, take that boat somewhere else, all on one ticket. You pay for one ticket and you get all of the accommodations. Her first trip took place on June 17th, 1913, on arrival of the Grand Trunk Pacific Great Lakes Express from Winnipeg at Fort William. And actually, this kind of proves my point. Earlier, I was saying that that wasn't her maiden voyage, and I guess my own notes prove that. She was sailing before the Great Lakes Storm of 1913. From the Regina Leader Post. A few days before passenger service on the Noronic was formally inaugurated by a big reception, followed by a dance, to which came a trainload of the Grand Trunk Railway System officials and many other persons from Montreal. The first trip of the Noronic was marked by a meeting of the Circulation Managers Association of North America, which took place on the steamer. It's interesting, like, how, just how big of a deal this actually is. Like, I don't even know if we have anything that's equivalent to this currently. Like, maybe, like, a SpaceX launch or something, mm-hmm. like, where people get excited about it. But it has, like, it, this is, like, a major event. Yeah. It's, just, it's very interesting. Let's launch the Circulation Managers Association into space. Like, just the fact that it's recorded in so many different newspapers and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, it's a big like, deal. clearly this... This is meaningful to people in the region because, like, they wouldn't put it in the paper if it didn't sell. Well, yeah, it's like that's uh, the one we did on the Whalebacks, talking about the launch of the city mm-hmm. of Everett and how, you know, the whole West Coast shows up for this thing. And they're sending reporters from Los Angeles to cover this launch. Bit of an aside here, I, I had to read through a lot of old newspapers and just sort of on the side, you, you see a lot of other stuff that's in that same newspaper. <laughs> And so as, as I was combing through these from the you know, early, early 20th century for anything I could find on the Neuronic, I came across a personals section in, in many newspapers. Uh, personals section here, just literally things that happen to people, not like, mm-hmm. a, not like a Craigslist hookup thing. <laughs> and uh, this one is from the Windsor Star, Windsor, Ontario, for July 2nd of 1914. Mr. and Mrs. Arthur Willette and son Earl of 158 London Street, this city, were passengers on the Northern Navigation Company, SS Noronic, from Saturday to Thursday, en route to Duluth. It's like tweeting out your vacation. It is. Back in the day. That's quite literally what this is. This has been around. You're like sending tweets through the newspaper. This has been around forever. Forget about Instagram. Like, you're not taking any pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Other bombshells in this personal section include uh, Mr. M.R. Winters spent the holiday in Chatham. (laughs) Mrs. Palladino has returned from visiting friends and relatives at London. It's so weird. You're like announcing your return back into the city so people can like stumble to your door and ask. Yeah, I guess like for like the kind of socialite class, maybe that's a a big deal. Mr. Charles Westman spent Dominion Day with friends. Mr. and Mrs. Frank Noble, 74 Church Street, left for Buffalo and Niagara Falls on their honeymoon. Mm, Not even an original honeymoon location. What I love about this one is that it not only gives their address, it tells you that they're <laughs> it tells leaving. Them that you left. <laughs> it tells you that they're yeah. not home. <laughs> Definitely don't come steal all of our wedding gifts at 74 Church Street. I love it so much. <laughs> Mr. Alfred Williams, Bruce Avenue, is spending his vacation with friends and relatives in Grand Rapids and Lansing, Michigan. There is uh, really nowhere I'd rather go on vacation than Grand Rapids and Lansing, Michigan. So like you said, 
people have been sharing their meaningless, unimportant activities for at least a century. Of course, probably longer. But yeah, this is not this is not a new thing to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We've always wanted to share things that people don't care about. Imagine having to pay to microblog out like your day, but like you have to pay to put it in the paper. I don't know if that would make would that make Twitter better or worse? Do you think if people had to pay? Yeah, for you it? still pay in a way with Twitter, I suppose. Yeah, you're giving part of your sanity. <laughs> so. All right, so back to our story here. Uh, an interesting little slice of culture from the time period is the way that the trips are advertised. I had a lot of fun uh, reading through these advertisements and seeing marketing strategies from the time and how different in some ways, but how very, very similar they still are. Mm-hmm. From the Owen Sound Sun-Times, this is Owen Sound, Ontario. For fun and relaxation, spend with us your week's vacation. <laughs> Questionable structure there, really reaching for that rhyme. <laughs> Uh, you've been promising yourself this trip for several years. Don't let this summer slip away without enjoying this delightful six-day sail from Sarnia to Sault Ste. Marie, Port Arthur, Fort William, Duluth, and return. The cool, fresh air of the North Country will do you worlds of good. The delicious meals on board, the joyous promenades, the dancing, in fact, every feature of the daily life on shipboard, where you spend six full days as members of one big family, will prove of absorbing interest. Uh, it was just funny, like even like listening to it, though, like the way they pitch these places, they they almost sound exotic. Like, <laughs> Sardia, Saint Marie, Port Arthur, Fort William, like it's the, it is, they sound cool. It's you know the what it's I mean? the like, it's the Beach Boys song with uh, Kokomo. It's like oh that's that sounds <laughs> that sounds exotic. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just exotic enough, especially you know what I mean to be like oh well, you know where'd you go? And you list off all these places, and it sounds like you really went somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so. In that same ad, they have in, in the big bold letters, SS Neuronic, SS Hamonic, SS Huronic. Uh, so like I said, those are the three that really are the attention grabbers. The three mighty steel liners of the Northern Navigation Company's inland ocean fleet leave Sarnia every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. The comfort, the service, the magnificence of the interior appointments make of these steamers palatial floating hotels. There are drawing rooms, convention halls, observation and music rooms, ballrooms, writing rooms, smoking rooms, barbershops, full ship orchestra every weekday evening, daily paper with news brought in by wireless, afternoon tea in the Grand Saloons, picnics ashore, a moonlight chorus, singing old-time melodies in the open, out on deck. From Sarnia to Duluth... It's basically a Disney cruise. It really is. It's the chillier version of a a Disney cruise. (laughs) Castaway Key is in... Sarnia. Enjoy. From Sarnia to Duluth, and return six full days, 1,600 miles, the fare, including meals, berths, and everything, $56.50. Do we know what that is in today? I used the same website that I used for U.S. inflation. I used it for Canadian. I don't have any independent verification that this is accurate. I used the same one that $56.50 translated to $717.30. That actually seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, like that, that doesn't seem... That seems both believable and, like, not that bad. So, I could see this. Like, yeah, like, it, it just seems like a number that makes sense. Like, if you were doing that cruise today, like, 750 bucks, like... I believe that's the starting rate in most of these. Right. It says, you know, starting at this price, and I'm sure there's fancier ones for the for the really rich people. This um, is, like, where the gates come and lock you in, like, in Titanic, if there's any problems? Um, we'll actually kind of see this, oh, though. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> sometimes it's better to have a little bit less money because sometimes it puts you closer to the exits 
Huh. Interesting. Especially. It's like sitting in the back of the airplane, which is actually the safest place. Especially first class. Especially when there's only exits on one level. So that would be an issue. We'll come to that later, though. We don't want to jump the gun <laughs> here. From June 11th, 1921, in the Owen Sound Sun-Times, you're going to hear a certain adjective multiple times in this. The Northern Navigation Company's palatial steamer Neuronic is in Owen Sound Harbor today on the 18th anniversary cruise of the Detroit Board of Commerce. The Neuronic is the flagship of the Northern Navigation Company and is undoubtedly the finest large cruising vessel on the Great Lakes. It is built especially for cruising, offering every possible convenience for the comfort of the passengers. The observation room is the best on fresh water, with large commodious chairs and magnificent rugs. The comfort, service, and magnificence of the interior appointments make the Neuronic a palatial floating club. Hot and cold water in every room and bathrooms on every deck carrying out this. The Neuronic is a palatial steamer. Sounds like she's pretty palatial. It is palatial. It's like a palace. So they want you to know that. I feel like the company is like paying these newspapers by the word of like how many times can you use the word palatial. To be fair, he probably owns a newspaper or two. Yeah. The same guy that is doing all the the robber bear stuff. Also, when I first read large commodious chairs, I thought of like a chair that's like a commode, a chair that's like a toilet. I know. Rather than like a chair that's comfortable. So July 31st, 1930 from the Winnipeg Tribune. Rail and sail to Eastern Canada. The SS Noronic, Hemonic, and Huronic cruise Lake Superior and Huron, calling at Duluth, Port Arthur, and at Sarnia. Why not take advantage of these ports of call and break your eastern journey with a stretch aboard ship? August 17th, 1932, from the Capital Times in Madison, Wisconsin. Carefree on an inland sea. We organize dances every evening and a grand masquerade the last night at sea. You will meet everybody aboard ship, including the captain. It will be your floating home. Long tramps on cool decks will rouse your appetite. <laughs> Delicious full-course meals will satisfy it. Social hostesses will keep the hum of activities at fever pitch. Price for the seven-day cruise here is $80.60. So that still seems reasonable for like a seven day cruise. Yeah, and this is about this is about a decade later, the first one, and I'm assuming this price is listed in American dollars because it's in Wisconsin. It's just interesting, like what they're actually offering here. Like it really is a glimpse into like what would it be like in like high society to be on like one of the the transatlantic steamers. Also, like that's, you, that's what they're giving you. You will meet everybody aboard ship. Sounds like a threat. It does to me to a millennial, yeah, uh, like, such as myself. That sounds awful. No, thank you. Absolutely not. I did the price conversion on that, assuming that was American dollars, and it came out to mm -hmm. uh, 1635 Okay, so I mean, for a seven-day cruise... Yeah, that, that doesn't sound bad. Where they're giving me palatial like meals on a palatial ship, mm -hmm. palatially, I feel like that's decent. August 1st, 1939, from the Winnipeg Tribune. Spend the holiday weekend on the lakes. $25.60, sue and return, including meals and berths on steamer. May 17th, 1942, from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. Great Lakes cruises on the SS Noronic and Hamonic, largest, finest lake liners. Aren't they busy in 1942? Don't they have things going on in the world? Not everyone. But Canada does, and America <laughs> does. The two countries involved in this story definitely have things going on in 1942. If you're a conscientious objector, you need something to do. So, <laughs> take a cruise. Also, the, the interesting thing I think here is think about when these ships were built. Harmonic was built in 1909. Noronic was, was launched in 1913. It's 1942, so it's basically three decades later. These ships are still being built as the largest, 
finest ships on the lake. I suppose some of that has to do with time. Like, you're running into that time period where, like, people aren't building new mm-hmm. ships anymore. So I suppose that has a lot to do with it. As long as you're keeping up the interior, I mean, yeah, those, like, lake vessels can last forever. Yeah, and, yeah, you kind of touched on what I was going to comment. Of You kind of have to see it as, is it because they're so nice, or is it because no one is bothering to build more at this right. point? So from August 26th, 1944, the uh, the News Palladium from Benton Harbor, Michigan. I want to read a little bit more of this article, just because I, I think it's very interesting for the time that it's published in and the things that they describe in it. So this article by a journalist named Bob White, it's called Sailing on the Gravy Boat. There's no meat rationing aboard good ship Noronic. Well, that raises some questions. Uh, so again, this is from August 26th of 1944. Just back from a week's vacation cruise from Detroit to Duluth and back on broad, I think this is supposed to say on board, on board the SS Neuronic of the Canada Steamship Lines. We're still a little dazed over the daily steamer menus, including such delectables as lamb chops, sausages, or bacon for breakfast, Lake Superior mm. whitefish, ham or chops for lunch, and, yes, beefsteak or roast beef for dinner. The memory still makes us drool in our typewriter. <laughs> Gross. Um, And to think that meat is ration-free in Canada, too. You can leave your ration books home when you go aboard the sleek, beautifully appointed Neuronic at Detroit or Windsor and cast off for Sarnia, Sault Ste. Marie, Port Arthur, and Duluth. College boys earning vacation money as waiters barrel off laden trays at mealtime in the dining room. Atop the ship echoes to the smacking of lips and the clatter of cutlery as the customers stow away the victuals. He's talking about drooling and smacking lips. He's not selling this to me very well but also it's like hey are you tired of like sacrificing for the war effort just pay some money and come have a yeah it's like are you tired of eating cottage cheese instead of pork yeah like come on yeah come get on the boat you could always tell the americans from the canadians at mealtime passengers from the states were first to the dining room doors by half a ship's length panting for the pot roast (laughs) this is still true on cruise ships yeah i don't see how this is i don't think this would be any different today this is, this is how you find the Americans. At first, they also had that lean and hungry look that brought immortal fame to Cassius. But this disappeared with every tiffin? I don't know what that is. I'm assuming that's like a measure of food or something. Also, I like how he just drops a Shakespeare reference here and expects people to get it. Because I guess people would have at the time. I like that like the Americans are described as like feral cats essentially <laughs> begging for food. Yeah, and it's like... It's not even like he's criticizing them. He's just like, yeah. that's just how they are. This is just the way it is. Can you blame them? <laughs> that's how they've been that's how they've been raised. The final paragraph of this. The Neuronic is one of the largest passenger ships on the Great Lakes. A sister ship, but somewhat smaller, is the equally popular Hamonic, which also cruises to Duluth. Lake Superior was calm as a pond, but Lake Huron, just a pleasant roll. If you like rolls. I think the last part was a food pun. I was about to say, is he trying to make a food I joke? I think it there? was. Like... I think that's what the last part was. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was a really interesting uh, write-up of, of their trip on the Neuronic. And the, uh, I think panting for the pot roast is, is a great way to describe <laughs> people in general. I have a large golden doodle that does the same thing. <laughs> I would wear that on a shirt. <laughs> All right. Trying to triangulate here where we are on time. We should cut it here or... Should we do our first little teaser? Uh, let's do a teaser. Let's, let's do, do it. it. All right. I think even this first episode is going to be a kind of a long one. 
we're going to take a little detour to discuss Neuronic's sister ship, Harmonic, which is, like we said, going to be a little, a little preview for our main event here. I've titled this section Prelude to Disaster, SS Harmonic. So on July 17th, 1945, the second of the three sisters, SS Harmonic, was docked at the Canadian National Railway's freight shed in Port Edward in Sarnia with between 300 and 350 people on board. Now, the numbers here will get confusing. Different articles you read, different newspaper things from the time, those numbers get thrown out, but the division of how many of them are passengers is never quite consistent. Some of the uh, articles I found online say that there's 300 passengers on this. That doesn't appear to be true. It appears that there was 220 passengers and about 130 crew on the ship. Hmm. This will be a running theme. The The numbers don't always tell the same story, depending on where you read these. Uh, so right. the, the ship had arrived at 5 a.m. At 8.30 a.m., a delivery truck was making a delivery to the freight sheds near where the harmonic was berthed. Now, why am I talking about a truck and a shed on a shipwreck podcast? <laughs> well, this truck suffered an engine malfunction, and it caught on fire. I think the engine just exploded, I guess. That fire spread up the building, the freight shed, uh, and very soon embers from the fire made their way onto the harmonic, which again is parked right there. In less than five minutes, the whole ship had gone up in flames. That's really quick. Very fast. Uh, so at this point, you know, it's, it's pretty early morning. Most of the passengers are either still asleep or at breakfast. So they either don't know what's going on or they're, they're probably not too like, focused on what's going on outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the evacuation and the, uh, the rescue that plays out next, there's a few standout performances that are worth talking about. One of them is the captain, uh, Captain Horace Beaton. So if you put yourself in his mindset, you know, his ship is literally parked, not moving. They, they arrived a few hours ago, probably kind of in shutdown mode. And then his ship's just on fire. Yeah, you're not really expecting that. In like five minutes. Uh, so he sees the need to obviously get away from the fire uh, and, and to, to do something to make this uh, not a terrible disaster. Uh, he needs to get his vessel to safety, so he orders the harmonics mooring lines cut, and he runs the ship full speed ahead, hard aground about 100 yards downstream, uh, just to, to get away from this burning storage shed. Right. Uh, this would make you know people able to rescue them from shore. Uh, that leads us to our next standout, probably the biggest celebrity to come out of this whole thing, a guy named Elmer Kleinsmith. So... Uh, Kleinsmith wasn't a sailor, he wasn't a fireman, nor was he on the uh, the harmonic as it caught fire. He was starting his shift at work when the fire started. He worked at the Century Coal Company. One of his tasks was operating a coal crane. Mm-hmm. So in an act of really quick thinking, uh, Kleinsmith drove his crane into position where the ship had run aground. And he moved the bucket of his crane to the bow of the harmonic where all the passengers are huddled together to get away from the fire. There's nowhere they can really go. And so in groups of like eight to ten at a time, he takes passengers in his in the bucket and moves them to shore and then goes back and gets bored. So the estimate is that about 100 people were rescued this way. So that's that's about a third of the people who are on the ship were rescued by this one 
very quick thinking coal worker with his coal crane. Yeah, I mean, that's enough people, too, that you're probably talking about a very different disaster if all of those people have to find a different way off the vessel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if all those people are jumping in the water or jumping to shore, like, there's going to be casualties incurred from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those who weren't rescued by the quick-thinking Kleinsmith, they attempted to find other ways off the ship. Uh, quoting here from an article by uh, Kathy Dobson in the Sarnia Observer from 2003, so not a contemporary source. Uh, passengers and members of the crew trapped when flames roared through the dining room, the main lounge, dance hall, and cabins made their way fore and aft. With all means of escape cut off, they leaped into the river to be rescued by boats from the U.S. Coast Guard at Port Huron, fishing tugs, and by pleasure boats. Uh, The first of these local fishing boats on scene was operated by Ronald Purdy and Alvin Bright. Uh, A second boat, also owned by Purdy, arrived next, operated by Robert Rowland, Daniel George, and Earl Brissett. Then a man named Robert King also arrived on scene with a boat of his own to aid in the rescue. So all these people just coming when they see there's a problem and rescuing people in their their boats. Uh, One final mention uh, is to the ship's purser, Tom Jackson. And this comes from the Eau Claire Leader-Telegram. According to one Mrs. Ruby, who'd been aboard with her husband and daughter, he stood there with flames all about him and directed people on how to leave the boat. Uh, Jackson is credited with preventing a panic at a time when that really would have had tragic consequences. Um, So understanding that we need to get people off, but we need to do it in a way where no one's going to get hurt in the process. Which is so important in these potential, you know, human crush situations. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that can be more dangerous than what you're fleeing a lot of the time. Uh, and in probably the most surprising twist in the whole time we've been doing this show, for me, uh, the death toll for this incident is, at most, one. Oh. I was very shocked. How was it at most? What, what's the... Is there so, like a heart attack or something? Well, like, so some sources... Like, this is kind of a frustrating thing I've encountered, is that a, a lot of the same stories get repeated in, you know, like, news articles and, like, on Wikipedia, for example. Um, kind of the, the story that maybe sounds the best or sounds the most miraculous. A lot of times it's reported that uh, none of the 300 people aboard were killed, or none of the 350 people aboard were killed. And I believe the confusion comes from the fact that no passengers were killed. So right. you can easily see how that you know, no passengers were killed can kind of be game of telephoned into no person was killed. Um, So that's, that's how it's often described. You know, we had this big horrendous fire, but miraculously no one was killed. Um, Upwards of a hundred were injured. Some of those required hospitalization for burns. Uh, One man was reported missing in the aftermath. He was a crew member named James O'Neill. Uh, he'd been working down in the ship's hold, and he hadn't been seen after this fire. So he's, you know, down deep in the ship. Uh, he's People saw him working down there, and they did not see him after. Uh, he was listed as missing. The, the newspaper I found this in was in the Escanaba Daily Press. It, it may have been reported elsewhere. That's just the first place I found it. And then on July 23rd, 1945, the Edmonton Bulletin reported that O'Neill's body had been pulled from the St. Clair River and that his death was attributed to drowning. So it makes a pretty clear case that, like, yes, someone was killed in this incident. Right. And it's, you know, that that being the case, it's kind of sad that it gets glossed over like that. 
you know, how this so widely gets told as, you know, no people died. And I saw this repeated lots of places, you know, in, you know, shipwreck books and stuff like that. Even in, uh, in Graveyard of the Lakes, there's a passing mention of Hamonic and how it was a terrible fire, but no one was killed. Which I think is kind of sad. <laughs> right. Uh, but, uh, a little bit more about that. So, like, one source that Kathy Dobson, she states that none of the 300 or so passengers died. Um, again, you can see, like, that's technically true that no passengers died. But again, that number right. of 300 is off because that's looking at the total rather than the passengers. Um, the Sarnia Journal's 2014 article about the ship states that, quote, all 350 people aboard survived the ordeal. That obviously wouldn't be true if we're including the story of James O'Neill. Maybe it makes for a better story, I think, if you can use the word miraculous a time or yeah. two in it. But, uh, yeah, I think that's very sad. So, you know, rest in peace, James O'Neill. It's sad that people forgot about you. Um, in addition to the loss of the uh, the harmonic herself and James O'Neill, uh, 12 loaded freight cars and 21 empty cars on shore were consumed by the fire. Something to remember here, we're, we're always usually focused on the ship itself, but remember, there's two big fires to deal with. Right. Uh, so the first responders showing up on scene, they've got this shed and probably all the adjacent buildings that are on fire and this big burning ship right next to it. Um, as a little side anecdote here, uh, one G.R. Brewster, who was a banker from Warren, Ohio, uh, he had been trying to get a spot on a uh, harmonic for about three months. Uh, and it just never, never opened up like, uh, like trying to get season tickets for the Packers. Just can't get it. <laughs> um, another reservation had been canceled. And so he, he finally got his spot, the spot he'd been working so hard to get and, and, and waiting for. Can you imagine? <laughs> he finally gets on there and then this happens and, you know, he escapes. He's, 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 he's fine, but uh, yeah, be careful what you wish for, I guess. Uh, so Harmonic was a total loss and was sold as scrap in September of 1945. Uh, here is where we're going to end part one of our story. This is the the good good break in the action here. As we as we wind down part one, I think the key takeaway to to carry forward into part two is that these these big pleasure craft, despite the fact that they're steel hulled, they will go up like a matchstick if if there is a fire right. introduced to them. Uh, I mean, it's essentially no different than a residence fire or mm -hmm. a hotel fire. Like you've got wicker chairs and, and wood paneling and beds and mm -hmm. all the stuff that likes to burn. Yeah. So yeah, the, the interior furnishings on these things are almost entirely wood. They're designed to be comfortable and elegant. They're not designed to be resistant to fire. Uh, we're going to talk more about those types of things later in part two. Uh, so yeah, when we come back, we're going to continue on to our main event and bring the uh, the tale of the SS Noronic to a tragic conclusion. So we will see you all in, uh, in part two. So thanks for listening. And uh, in the meantime, just, uh, just take care.